Well, hey, hi, hello, my friends. Welcome to Main ASCD, the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drouette Card. Thank you so very much for listening to us today. Uh, if you haven't already, please go ahead on to whatever platform you're listening to this on uh, and subscribe to us. We'd appreciate it. Um, this is the pad podcast where we talk about uh, the whole child tenet of education. It's part of the ASCD framework. It involves five different tenets being healthy, challenged, engaged, supported, and safe. Those are the five tenets that all education needs to be around. If we're going to make decisions about our learners, we should be making them based on the child, the whole tenet, the whole child tenets. Sorry, hey, something to stumble over my words. Uh, I am clearly not a professional at this work. Um, today's episode is going to be um, a conversation that I have with uh, Dr. Lee Alley. She is the main ASCD executive director. And in this conversation, we talk about the importance of kindness and empathy and the role that that plays in our classrooms and the role that it plays in our learners' lives, but also importantly in our teachers' lives. We talk about things like empathy fatigue. We talk about things like the fact that, you know, uh, teachers all want to do their best for kids, but with that comes a huge, huge burden. And it's a beautiful burden but it is a challenging and exhausting burden. And also the role that trauma, and as Dr. Lee says, big T, little t trauma, plays in the lives of our students. And what can we do in our classrooms, in our schools, and in our lives to help our learners better become uh, resilient and to uh, better understand, uh, become more empathetic. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, if you want to, please go ahead and follow us on Twitter at MainASCD. Uh, our website, www.mainascd.org, has lots of information. And for our members, we have, I can't tell you how many resources on being a tra- becoming a trauma-informed school. If you wanna become a member, click the membership link and go ahead and follow the PayPal link. It's only $40 to become a member of MainASCD and with it, you get a whole bunch of materials, a whole bunch of resources in order to, you know, become a whole child teacher, including our micro-credential suite, which will help you become a whole child champion. So with that, thank you very much again for listening. And now, on with the show. So the whole child tenets, safe, healthy, engaged, supported, challenged, they really talk about all these things that we need to build, to do, to create environments, and to create spaces for our learners to grow. It can't just be all about academics. However, one of the, some of the major things that happened with our students is our students are coming in more and more with real trauma. Our students are coming in with more and more these, these experiences that many people years ago never really experienced, or if they did, or when they did, uh, it just wasn't brought to that front. We didn't know much as much about it. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna to talk about trauma, and we're also gonna talk about how us as educators and educational systems can um, impact and affect and relate to those learners. And with me today is our executive director, Dr. Lee Alley. Hi, Matt. Good to talk to you again, Lee. Always great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing very well. It is an icy day as I'm recording this here uh, in, 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 in Maine, where I am, and I have 
a special guest with us. I have my dog, Louise. <laughs> Hi, Louise. One of the last times we <laughs> chatted there was Rambo. Rambo was That's a right. Shannon, wasn't it? Um, that, no, and then we did talk about Rambo in our podcast. That's too. right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So that's Rambo's right. been a part of the podcast for a little bit now, but now there's Louise. And Louise Rambo is, and Louise. Yes, Louise is a seven-year-old coon hound with three legs. <laughs> I'm sensing a theme here, Matt, with your pets. I love it. Yeah, we're we kind of like rescuing. So anyway, let's talk about let's talk about everyone's favorite topic. And by everyone's favorite topic, I mean don't mean favorite trauma. And sure. And I mean our kids are facing. I, I, it's hard to explain what they're facing these days. It really is. And I think that, you know, in your intro, you said it very well, which is that probably all of these things were happening all the time, you know, to school children. But either there was a mentality of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I know that was something that I heard my grandparents' um, generation say frequently, or a, you know, kids will be kids mentality when it comes to bullying or whatever the things might be. I, I think that there was just this attitude that maybe some of it wasn't talked about as openly and perhaps some of that was because we couldn't see you know the real long-lasting effects of that trauma whether it's a big t or a little t trauma sure. you know to the lives that we live years and years and years after that trauma has occurred and so one of the things that we were talking about just the other day in our board retreat as you remember, is that Shannon, our current co-president with you, um, was talking about just what it's like to carry the weight of that on our shoulders as educators as you seek to really serve learners who are coming to you with these deep, deep needs um, and these events that just sort of really impact their lives and then consequently their learning. And so we were talking about that, talking about whole child education, talking about also whole educator experiences, because you know, as I've said before in our time together, if who is the paramount question of education, you can't separate the self from the endeavor of teaching or learning. And so how do we persist through that? And then we had the idea for this podcast where we could talk about some of those things. You know, I just came back from the MEA conference where I led a session about kindness and how to cultivate that. And so kindness topic that I really want to talk with you about today. So then let's, let's get into kindness. So how, how do we define kindness? Sure. So I think there are a few terms we have to really define. Yeah, and I obviously mean, these aren't universally accepted terms because sometimes the way folks define the terms will vary. But I think it's important to understand the difference between empathy and kindness and, and also compassion as a related term. So if empathy is feeling with someone, compassion is feeling for someone, and then kindness is that compassion in action. And so one of the things that happens, Matt, and this may not be any news to you, is that empathy fatigue is a real thing. And oh, so sure empathy is. fatigue is, yeah. And you know, because you serve in a school community, empathy fatigue is a real thing for counselors. It's a real thing for physicians. It's a real thing for um you know, caseworkers, it's a real yeah. thing for care providers, on and on. But I think that 
that until recently, we weren't quite as aware of the ways that empathy fatigue really affects educators. And empathy fatigue, if we want to think about what that is, it's really that psychological, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, occupational exhaustion that occurs for people who serve folks who are ill or suffering or, you know, they're experiencing trauma or loss or grief or on and on. And so educators suffer that same empathy fatigue that all of these other careers also suffer. And it's important that we understand that. It sure is. I mean, because I, I don't know of any educator who's gotten into the field and who's stayed in the field for 30 years, gets into it with malintent, who gets into the field with the opinion of, I'm going to do harm to people. Every okay. single educator gets in with the fact of, no, I genuinely care. I love these kids. I love these learners that I'm, that I'm with. And I want to make their lives better somehow. I want to genuinely help them. And when we're trying to help them, and then we can identify now all these other areas of trauma, all these other areas of, uh, of things that they're bringing into the school, now that we can identify those, we just want to help. We just want to be able right. to do more and more and more. Because like you said, empathy is the I feel with you. It's not the I feel for you. It's the I feel with you. And that's right. it's, you know, everyone has the same shared emotions. I might not have gone through the same trauma as you, but I know grief. I know sorrow. Right. I know joy. I know these things. So I can feel those things with you, even though I don't have the shared experience. And teachers right. do that all the time. Educators do, even evil administrators like myself. And, that's right. and it does get exhausting. I've seen so many times some colleagues that I have both in my current district and previous districts just in the, after a while throw their hands up and be like, I just don't know what to do anymore. That's right. Uh, well, and it, it affects that, um, you know, that fatigue aspect, but also it, as it, as it compounds, it affects our ability to retain educators and all of those sorts of things. And so it's really important that as we think about how do we recruit and retain educators, that we also recognize that these are the realities of the profession. And so um, I think it's important that we kind of dig a little deeper into the idea of empathy and our capacity to empathize, because one of the things that I do as part of my work, whether it's for UMA or for Maine ASCD or for my consulting or whatever, is to think about meta-analysis. Yep. And so I've been digging in on empathy and kindness and compassion quite a good deal because these are topics that interest me. I teach social emotional learning courses. I actually design and teach them. I design and teach trauma informed practices courses and those sorts of things. And so I think one of the things folks don't realize is how deeply capable human beings are to feel with another. And you just mentioned it, but the science even shows that we are so good at it as human beings that when we just picture someone else's pain and we try to put our head in that space, our brains fire near identical neural networks. And so think about that. I mean, wow. thinking about it gives me sort of goosebumps that just picturing in my brain, putting together my experiences and imagining, you know, putting myself in someone else's shoes fires a near identical neural network. And also knowing that means that we have to understand that our physical effects from that empathy are very similar. So if we're putting ourselves in the shoes of someone who experienced trauma, whether it's big T or little T trauma, our bodies, our brains are experiencing the same sorts of things. And so it's interesting too that the science shows 
that we don't suffer the same fatigue if we're practicing compassion and kindness as if we were practicing empathy. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be empathetic, but what I am saying is that if we approach it from that standpoint, we are able to have a little bit of a protective factor there. And so it's important to know that both compassion for others and self-compassion are protective factors, because that's another thing we don't talk about a lot is how can we be compassionate to ourselves, let alone other people. And I think you probably know folks like I do, Matt, that we've got, you know, wheelbarrows full of kindness and understanding for other people, but for ourselves, there's that tendency to kind of beat up, you know, to dwell (laughs) and all those sorts of things. I mean, isn't that true? It absolutely is. I mean, I'm uh, one of the things that I've been diving into deeply as, um, part of my self-work and the therapy that I'm going through to kind of help me get better is understanding shame better. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and I'm doing a lot of reading about from Brene Braun, um, a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff that mm-hmm. she's done and, and, and learning about, about shame and about empathy and the role that shame plays in our world. Like shame, we want to change shame into empathy. And a lot of the things that when you hear educators say things like they have an imposter syndrome, when they hear them say yeah. things like, you know, I don't know if I belong. I don't know. Why would anyone want to listen to me? Goodness knows I have said that. Who would want to listen to me? Why am I valuable? Well, there's a shame thing that happens there. And there's, there are these things that go into our brains that turn us into these other things that we put these defense mechanisms. And then it makes us very hard, makes it very hard, especially culturally to be vulnerable. And, yeah. oh, empa- yeah. and according to the, the stuff that Brene Brown has talked, empathy can't happen without vulnerability. But that, vulner- right. but that vulnerability is very scary. It's very tiring. And it can also be this thing that can, um, that can block us. We don't want to seem vulnerable. So if we don't want to seem vulnerable, we can't necessarily be empathetic. So how, do, how might we then start changing, big question here, changing culture, changing mindsets to be, to allow that vulnerability to be yeah. more accessible to be to everyone. And I know it's different for both for men and women. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. And it's something that we have to kind of dig deep on. I'd like to see the same professional development be given to those sorts of things as some of the other PD that we kind of dig deeply into. It's interesting, because just like the um, brain research I just was telling you about, which comes from Singer and Komechi. Um, Batson pointed out that we're more likely to help other people when we feel compassion than when we feel empathy. And I don't know if it goes back to that same fatigue or if it's a, a problem of analysis paralysis or what, what it might be. But when we're just going to perform the kind act, we're more likely to sort of jump. And I think that that's a a perfect bridge to the question that you're asking about how do we shift culture? Because part of it is we just have to adopt practices that we, we, you know, devote our authentic selves to that. It's not an add on. It's just embedded in the way we do school at, you know, wherever we might be serving. And I think for adults, gratitude is an important part of that. So if you think of sort of a multi-pronged approach, Gratitude and kindness go hand in hand. And the science around gratitude says that if we practice gratitude, not only ourselves, but also our students will experience reduced stress. They're going to have some more, you know, kind of protective factors, resilience against, you know, the the sort of hardships, troubles that come their way. 
you know, the gratitude fosters resilience because when you recollect, it, it's interesting, when you recollect an act of kindness, you get the same exact boost in your brain as if you were experiencing it in the moment. Think about the power wow. of that. And by the way, when you see an act of kindness happen to someone else, you also receive that same exact boost and the same exact protective factors. And you're also much, much more likely to go in turn, perform an act of kindness for someone else, which means it really is this cycle of helpfulness. It's crazy so, how it works. So what you're telling me is that there was actual brain science behind the Haley Joel Osment movie, Pay It Forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And That's also, crazy. not only is there- That's ridiculous. It is, That's that's like it, unbelievable. Not crazy, but it's like unbelievable. Like it makes so much sense. And I love it when science does that, when it like confirms what just seems to make sense. Um, and it, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, the interesting thing, because it is amazing to me too, is that we're not just talking about that protection against anxiety and depression that I mentioned or the coping mechanisms that I mentioned, we're talking about science that says the body actually heals itself more quickly when you experience right. kindness or remember kindness. You're also apt to live longer when you're performing acts of kindness or receiving them or witnessing them. So we're not just talking about the, the mental state, we're talking about a physical state too, your ability to recover, your ability to live longer, those kinds of things. Um, and kindness is in the same exact vein. So it's the same decreased stress, it's the same boost in happiness, it's the same lower blood pressure and all of those sorts of things. So we're talking like real physically, you know, protective benefits that go beyond just the feel good well-being stuff. We're talking about it's so good for all of us for every single reason and that yes the pay it forward cycle continues you know another interesting um piece of research that came out and i think it was from a doctor named seligman he was saying that doing an act of kindness produces the single most reliable boost and well-being of any exercise that ever has been tested wow. think about that and it's not just mood. That's the thing. It's not just mood, but it's all these other things. It's the anxiety and depression. It's the belonging. It's the physical. It's all of these things. And so from my, to my thinking, practicing kindness and compassion is sort of one of the number one things we could do if we wanted to make our school communities happier and healthier because well, we know what the research says about belongingness. That's one of the things I wanted to get into next. I wanted to talk about and to say like, Okay, let's say everyone listening to this so far kind of agrees. Yeah, okay, we need to move from a sympathy mindset and approach, the I, I feel for you, the, oh, it's not me, you poor thing, which according to you know, the work that I've learned about, that sympathy actually exacerbates that level of shame, whereas the empathy mm -hmm. heals the shame. Mm -hmm. So then what can people, educators, whether they're administrators or teachers or you know, pre-service teachers or whomever, paraprofessionals, what can they do tomorrow, yeah. it's, today? It's a, it's a great question because the, the, the bigness of the, the sort of ripple effect feels like something that could be insurmountable if you think about all of the sorts of things we're trying to sort of counterbalance. Oh yeah. But the truth is all that's required is for an educator coming from a place of authenticity to be promoting this sort of a culture or a climate. And so it can be very easy baby steps forward and they're all immediately actionable today. So it could be things like 
forming a kindness, a kindness club. I know I spoke to you folks in the past about how I had formed one as a classroom educator when I was teaching high school English. And we'd do little things like go up the hallways and put sticky notes on people's lockers during finals, or we'd, you know, put on a, a food drive at Thanksgiving, or, you know, just little things, deliver candy grams at Valentine's Day, like just things to make people feel noticed. Yeah. Um, Teachers can do things like keeping a good news folder, or when I was a teacher, I kept a brag book so that I could make those personal phone calls X number, you know, in a given month or send the note home X number of times in a given month to say, look, I want you to know that I saw Susie do X, Y, and Z, and I saw Sammy do X, Y, and Z, and just make um, that gratitude be something that we actually do talk about because I think we feel it, but there's that, it's that vulnerability again, Matt, that you were talking about. It's the acting on the feeling and we have to be a little bit more, more demonstrative of how much we appreciate things and the things that we notice. You know, we also want this to be a really intrinsically motivated thing for ourselves and for our kids. So I'm never going to promote rewards or those kinds of things, but you can have a cop being good program sure. that promotes these things without being a reward it's a recognition you know you can ask your learners and also by the way yourself keep a gratitude journal gratitude journaling every morning has the same protective factors so it doesn't even have to be something that you necessarily carve out time for it could be something that you're doing if you're teaching bell to bell it could be we're claiming these few minutes before we go to transition to make sure we do our kindness journal or we just had morning meeting and now you know you're going to go spend five minutes in your in your gratitude journal. Um, I know of teachers who put their students on secret mission to go and do special, you know, yeah. kind things in their schools. Um, and then obviously those more popular random acts of kindness months or those kinds of things. These are all things that require no prep work on our part oftentimes. Well, it's that, just that we have to promote it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing is, I think one of the things that for a lot of folks um, stops them, aside from the vulnerability, is this, you know, fear of saying the wrong thing. Right. Is this right. fear? Is, is this fear of just? Am I gonna make? I, I, if I if I talk about the trauma, if I talk about what's going on, if I bring it up, it's going to make it worse. If I talk about suicide, it's going to make people think about suicide. If I talk about depression, it's going to make people more about more depression. If I create that space, when I know the research and science do, doesn't bear out at all. Yeah. So so right. re really, what 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 I'm what what, what I'm taking away is aside from just doing all of these things, one of the things that any educator could do right now is when they see or they experience someone or they know someone who's going through a traumatic area or, or just needs that level, you don't have to do anything because you can't say anything that's gonna make someone feel better. All you can that's do right. is, is be with them in the moment and say, tell me what you're feeling. Tell me about you. I'm listening and be with them. And that's really, that, that, it's, it sounds so simple, but it is incredibly hard if you've built up an entire life of walls of vulnerability. Yeah, no, the, I, I think the being with you are really the key words out of everything you just said. And it's so true, Matt, you know, there are no silver bullets for almost anything we do. We talk about this all the time, but if there were a silver bullet, the research shows it's a trusted adult and it, it's, 
It's everything. Right. It's the, it's the cognitive stuff. It's the social stuff. You know, I hate when we call these types of skills soft skills because oh, they're anything but crazy. soft. It's how it's how we deal with the hardest stuff in life. But you know, the trusted adult really is. It's the it, it's the linchpin. It's the the in, key ingredient to so many of these things. So just yeah. by being there, and also by being there for each other when we're talking about the protective factors for adults, because we obviously don't put our situation off onto our learners you know we need to obviously have our adults who are are our outlets for that but our students need to know that we're there and if nothing else we just see them and we hear them and obviously then we do all of the things we have to do as you know reporters of things that might get brought to us or whatever but we be there that's what we do we just be there we that's i think that's the key we just we just be there for them we just be there for we, each other and that's right and it's it, it is it is very hard to do especially if you grew up in an environment or an area and you've lived an entire life or you're surrounded in a culture that doesn't promote that 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 yeah. does a lot of insidious things in a lot of ways very unintentionally because they'll say things like no no be open be vulnerable be do all these things yeah. and then as soon as you do it gets someone turns it against you and then all of a sudden now you're back into that shame area so it's very That's hard perfect. to do but again like we like i said earlier i don't know of one educator who gets into this to do harm to all the other to no. our learners and as, oh, a, no, as, a, as a result of that if one of the things we can do is be with them then put your other stuff aside and if you're there for the learners if you're there for the kids do what they need. Well, we've, we, you know, you and I have talked ad nauseum about you got to do the Maslow's before the blooms. Um, I That's don't, right. I, I learned the quote unquote hard skill of the quadratic equation in my, my sophomore year of high school. I would have been much more valuable learning the quote unquote soft skill of resilience. Right. Well, it's where those, you know, when we talk about the habits of mind and growth mindset and all of those things, I mean, really the, being able to apply strategies, you know, for these sorts of things is so much more important than those sort of finite, finite, you know, pieces of data or information and skills are important, but you know, the skills you're talking about, those cognitive skills are not more important than the social emotional stuff. And as we talked right. about, I think in the last podcast, all learning is social and emotional. I mean, you can't separate the who from any of that endeavor. And so it's all social and emotional. And that's, that's, subversive, that's that subversive thing, though, about the quote unquote soft versus hard. The hard means yeah. it's, it, you know, unconsciously or unintentionally, it's going to be more valuable because it's something, it's concrete. That's the way we, where soft is like, eh, it's malleable, it's squishy. Who knows about that? Right. Yet the squishy right. stuff really actually becomes the things that make up the character of the individual. And as we've seen in many different ways, I'm not gonna to try to get overly political here, but read between the lines, folks. Um, you can see things like, if we're getting squishy, those are the character things that we really need to develop with our learners today. Well, and I'm glad you say that, Matt, because without talking about individual morality, education is a moral endeavor. It is about what is right and wrong. It is about what is healthy for our community. And, you know, that's where the, I think that we can sort of um, mitigate some of the challenge of what it means to put yourself out there on the line when you're practicing kindness and compassion. When we expect our community of learners to engage this way, 
suddenly there's this safe area in which this is what we value and we all can bring our best selves to it, which I think is so important. And the flip side of some of that too is not only do we want to practice that kindness and compassion, but we also as educators have to stop ignoring the casual cruelties. And if I could like put huge red lines under that, I would do that because there is that, I think there is that feeling to let students learners, you know, kind of navigate their own kind of turbulent waters when it comes to their interactions with each other, as long as that's within limits and whatever. But the truth is, we have to nip that immediately. We don't stand for any more of that casual cruelty. And that's one of the ways that we also create that safe space for everyone to practice kindness is we just don't put up with those little snipes anymore. We don't put up with that little bit of shunning or that, you know, you can't sit with us mentality. We just don't don't do that anymore and instead we model a different way and the modeling really is key so i think i think that's where one thing we can end on which is a great point and to leave our listeners with is you know when we're talking empathy when we're talking kindness we're talking about kids coming in in trauma we have to be able to identify those quote-unquote casual cruelties as you brought them up and yeah. and stop ignoring them we have to identify them and stop and, and address them. They're the elephant in the room and an elephant in the room needs to be addressed. That's right. So, yep. so true. Lee, thank you very much for your time today. This was a, a, an amazing conversation. I really appreciate it. I always love talking with you, Matt. And thanks for taking the time. Oh, ditto. All right. Thank you, Lee. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for downloading, listening, and subscribing to Maine ASCD, the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Maine ASCD, that's at Maine, M-A-I-N-E, ASCD. Uh, You can also get in contact with our executive director, Dr. Lee Alley. You can contact her through email at ASCDMaine at gmail.com or through our direct messages on our Twitter feed. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash M-E-A-S-C-D. And, of course, on our website, www.mainascd.org. Thanks again. Talk to you next time.